Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except you don't have to share your snacks. This month's selection is Sabrina Imbler's sparkling essay collection called How Far the Light Reaches. This is normally when I would give a spoiler warning, but this is nonfiction, so I feel like it's not quite necessary in this instance. But if you haven't read the book and you want to read the book before you hear this discussion, you should do that. You could also listen to a discussion with Sabrina, which is already in the feed. They are phenomenal, so go listen to that. If you are here and ready to listen along with us, we are very glad to have you. I can't wait to introduce you to this month's panelists. We have Kat Chow. She's a former NPR reporter and the author of the memoir Seeing Ghosts. Kat, hello. Hi, thank you for having me on. Very excited to talk about this book. We also have Rachel E. Gross. She's a science journalist and the author of the book Vagina Obscura. Rachel, hello. Hi, I'm psyched to be with you two today. Psyched to have you. Okay, so full disclosure, both of you blurbed the book. You are coming from very positive and biased (laughs) points of view, which is totally cool. We kind of love that. Absolutely. Yes. So I'm really excited to have both of you because I think this book is such a fascinating combination of both science journalism and memoir with both which both of you have, you know, varying degrees of experience with. Um, And Rachel, especially since you are a science journalist, I would love to start with you and know what stood out to you, especially when it comes to the structure of this book, because it really is super unique. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so yeah, there's like a long, rich tradition of nature essays that try to get at these big questions about humanity and existence and inspire a lot of awe and wonder through looking at the natural world in a new way. Um, And what Sabrina does is weave those stories of individual starving octopus mothers uh, and swarms of gelatinous balls on Reese Beach uh, with their own life. I think the first thing I thought when I started reading this was this book is like a creature like none Mm. other that I've ever seen, something that's constantly morphing like a cuttlefish and surprising your expectations like a feral goldfish. And there's just no way not to make that connection to the content of the book. Right. I love the idea of thinking of this book as a creature itself. I think that's really fun. I think that's a beautiful metaphor. I mean, this book is full of so many metaphors. And just, I was so amazed by how seamless um, Sabrina takes nature and relates it to their life. I mean, so, you know, one of the essays that you mentioned, Rachel, about the octopus starving itself is so much about motherhood and Sabrina's Mm -hmm. relationship with their body, but then also their mother and their mother's body. And it just, it's such a vulnerable collection of essays, but yet every single essay is so good at instilling this joy and resilience without being, you know, a little bit Pollyanna-ish. And so I find that so commendable. Yes, it's I love how much joy you find throughout this book. But to your point, also, 
we're not shying away from the difficulties that exist in being in a body in the world either, which is such a remarkable read. And I think it can be a really difficult combination too. So Kat, I mean, beyond that, I mean, as someone who has written a memoir, what about the memoir elements of it specifically kind of surprised or struck you? You know, I was really surprised the first time I read this book months ago um, about how much memoir there was in it. And Mm. to get to see Sabrina's voice on the page, it's wry, it's funny, it's so thoughtful, so compassionate, so empathetic. And to prepare for this taping of this podcast, I started listening to the audiobook, which Sabrina narrates. And yeah, literal voice. So good. Literal voice. So good. I was like, wow, Sabrina, you should be an NPR reporter. Um, (laughs) You should have your own podcast. I would totally listen to it. And I know I'm gushing, but I mean, having written a (laughs) memoir where... Um, you know, seeing ghosts is a lot about grief and loss and my family's mm-hmm. immigration story. But one of the things I tried so hard to do throughout was turn it into a book about a point of view as a journalist and as someone who's really invested in, for me, Asian American studies. And so everything sort of was woven in with this perspective of this idea of racial melancholia and race. And I feel Mm. like Sabrina does that so much and embodies just this point of view. And it's remarkable because, I mean, Sabrina is just so formidable in their stance and their, you know, for being such a young writer. But it's just, it's so, so incredible. Yeah, it's interesting bringing up their age. I don't know exactly how old they are, but they can't be much older than 30, probably, right? They're not older than 30. Um, <laughs> I was just remembering when I met Sabrina and um, we had like this in real life. So yeah, full disclosure, I come from an extremely biased stance. Um, <laughs> I call Sabrina one of my biological siblings and oh. not just because we have the same mix, which they talk about um, in their essay on hybrids, which I think mm. is a lot lesser discussed, but really like struck me in the nerve. Um, so we, we both have like an Asian mom and a generic white dad and are from <laughs> like the suburbs of California. And we just had this like instant rapport where I was like, oh, you're definitely my sibling and like realizing their age, I was like, I'm offended. I feel betrayed by how young you are. Like, I just thought we were the same. <laughs> well, right. Cause I think there is a part in the book where they talk about, was it graduating, graduating from college and something about Twitter. It was something where I just remember distinctly being like, oh yes, you are quite a bit younger than I am. If Twitter existed when you were in college, right. you know, I'm not to like harp on age too much. Cause yeah, but I I just found it so amazing. Um, I was so impressed. I'm still impressed. And, you know, Rachel, to your point about being like siblings, I can totally see that too in the ways that your books speak to each other. I'm reading Vagina Obscura right now. And I think the ways that both of you as writers are able to expand outward um, and then turn inward so quickly and also distill very, very complicated things um, into such pleasurable reading is chef's kiss. Kat, you're going to make me blush over here, especially coming from a memoirist like yourself. Um, But I felt this very real kinship in how Sabrina was exploding all of these boxes. And in their case, I feel like it was this like 
kind of the straitjacket that you were born in, like the place you're from, the messages you've been told, the way you've been mm. told to be female. Because um, I think even though this book really explodes gender and straightness in beautiful ways, it is about being socialized to be feminine in a specific way and how that shapes your experience of the world and how you interact with people, which really, really spoke to me. And like, you can just feel Sabrina being in control of the the arc of each of these essays, um, including the hybrid one where, you know, they called that essay their problem child. I think they were still working through it at the time that we first met up. And I completely understood why. Like, I have written the folding, dumpling, mixed, hybrid race <laughs> essay that Sabrina alludes to that this will not be in their mm-hmm. book. And the essay that's for a white gaze, that's kind of comforting the mm-hmm. reader. And reading Sabrina's, like, really honest and unsparing take on their own relationship with their identity, the fact that, like, often you become obsessed with the idea of mixed race identity when Mm. you've been put under that magnifying glass your whole life and about what spaces you can occupy. I really loved the connection between queerness and mixed race identity and the kind Mm. of coming out and coming to terms with yourself and how you're often straddling these different communities and feeling like you don't fit anywhere. Mm -hmm. Totally. One of the last essays that I was just listening to before jumping on was the one where Sabrina is living in Seattle post-college and Mm -hmm. living in the Fremont neighborhood, which uh, cheekily calls itself the center of the universe, despite being pretty white and now home to, you know, Google offices, Sporkle offices. And the way that Sabrina connects that essay to these warm spots in the ocean, which I cannot summarize as elegantly as Sabrina because I'm not a science journalist. Um, read to, the book. Yeah, read the book. <laughs> to um, discovering a queer nightclub in Seattle that, you know, primarily was f- for people of color was just so mm-hmm. beautiful and moving. Yeah, and I think just the ways that Sabrina can, you know, Rachel, as you were saying, examine being multiracial whatever terms we're using right now in this conversation and also just being authentically themselves. I don't know. I, I think it's so singular. There are a couple of metaphors in this book that I found really striking. And one was the idea that comes up in that essay, which is around light and the idea that as humans, we can sort of only assume that everything just thrives off of light. And if you live in the darkness, then you must just be like living this horrible life, essentially, and you're deprived of all the nutrients you need, when in fact, that's not the case at all, right? I think it's such a beautiful metaphor across all sorts of different themes in the world, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, the the idea that you can choose what nourishes you, whether that's like chemosynthesis, uh, and that it's not that you're a victim of circumstances and relegated to this like, tragic gay life in some cases. And I think that's the joy that both of you were getting at is that there's a lot of darkness and trauma in this book. But ultimately, I think the vibe you come away with are those patches of warmth and light, whether it's the queer nightclub or the swarm of gelatinous blobs at Reese Beach. (laughs) And I actually have a friend who loved this book, but also came away being like, I feel like I'm not doing queerness right because I'm not having as much fun as Sabrina. And like, but that's, those are the narratives that we need. We need to remember that like 
in the darkness and between these really, really hard moments, like we're finding joy and authenticity. And I, I haven't seen a book that does it like this. Mm-hmm. So, Rachel, you mentioned the hybrid essay and how much that one spoke to you. That was another thing we got a voicemail about, which was really sweet. Um, let's take a listen to Asako and then we can take a quick break. One of my favorite chapters was hybrids, especially the part where they write. Looking back, I realized I had written the essay not just for a white editor, but also for a white audience. Like a dutiful little trash compactor, I had digested my messy heap of an identity into a manageable lesson for people who were not like me. I had never considered what a mixed Asian essay that I wrote for other mixed Asian people might look like. And then they went ahead and wrote that essay. And so much of it really spoke to me. I felt so seen, understood, and validated as a mixed Asian person myself. The whole book was such a joy to read. So thank you again. Rachel, it was cool seeing you just like emphatically not yeah, listen to it. that. Again, I'm just, I keep saying I'm so grateful that it exists. I know, I feel like this is the, <laughs> such a gushy conversation on all of our parts, but it's true. I mean, uh, I think that these essays are going to be so relevant for so long and I don't know, they're so moving. We will gush more about how far the light reaches right after this break. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So we have alluded a little bit to the Sand Striker essay. I think this was by far my favorite. It also struck one of our listeners. Here is Liz in Minnesota. It is sticking with me and I talk a lot about it with with friends, the research that went into that section um, and uh, the change of narrative. And I have a whole new perspective on that entire situation. Um, And then also, oh, just not blaming the men and not excusing them, um, but really talking about the system that Uh, This one, it's this part. It's our job to hold ourselves accountable to a moral center separate from the arbitrary ganglion of laws that so often get things wrong. This is the work we inherit as creatures with a complex brain, which comes with inexplicable joys like love and sex and making out in cars, but also the duty of empathy of understanding what it means when someone is stumbling. Goodness, like if we all could just think of that section all the time, um, I just think about so many things that would be different. I have goosebumps. Yeah, that one, I like almost couldn't articulate how much that meant to me because I had never seen someone articulate and give language to this particular experience of being socialized female in a certain way, expected to react to the male gaze in a certain way, and having a lot of like a salty and semi-non-consensual experiences for which there are no words in 
in our society and like you know we may not have like ways of like legally showing evidence for what happened but like we know in our gut what happened and the way that your mind kind of either causes you to like skim over this lock this away in dark parts of your brain or to make it into a joke so that you can be the author of your own story and that it's fine if people are laughing it's no big deal um and and the compassion that they showed their former self who went through those traumas like I found that so healing, and I can't imagine what it took to write that essay and to revisit those parts of your past, uh, but I'm so grateful for it. No, I agree. I mean, that essay was just incredible, and it was hard to read. Not that, you know, yeah. reading a book should be easy, um, but to your point, Rachel, about the empathy that Sabrina lends themselves and their younger self, um it felt as though that itself was a form of agency. And you see that empathy extended throughout the entire essay and also the book too. I'm thinking right now of the opening essay about the giant goldfish and um, Sabrina is going to a dietitian as a young, you know, teenager Mm -hmm. and really just hoping that the dietitian at one point will be like, no, you're fine as you are. But instead, the dietitian says something to the effect of, you don't have much to lose. It's so brutal. It's so brutal. Um, and I think that that type of gentle, I don't know, gentle recounting is a tool that Sabrina is able to deploy and use in chapters like the Sandstriker one, too. Empathy as agency is such a beautiful idea. And I'm going to think about that a lot. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, talking about the radical empathy, they end that essay empathizing with the men that have often harmed them or not listened to them. Like, that's just a step that most of us could not go. But it is so powerful. And I think probably powerful in understanding your your own experience and, and the way that they imagine a world in which other men and other bystanders around instead acted as a safety net and a protective force instead of enabling or standing by that was so beautiful and sad because it's so often not true but like they go the step of imagining a different world and a different path So we mentioned a couple of specific essays. I don't think we have time to get to every single one, though. I'm sure that we could each come up with plenty of things to praise about each of them. But I would love to know if there are any others specifically that you would love to sort of like shine a light on or put next to a nutrient rich hole in the depth of the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will say that some like quietly resonant ones, I think, are the bookends, the first and the last chapter. The first one about a feral goldfish and the fact that most of us have never heard that if a goldfish has an endless ocean and room to grow, then it can become the size of a pineapple or a butternut squash. And beautiful. We love Sabrina's metaphors. (laughs) Um, And I think that just really opened the book with an idea of what this book was going to be. It was going to start out as like an essay that felt kind of familiar about uh, how the author saw themselves as a young kid protesting against Petco and about the maltreatment of pet goldfish and morphed into something incredibly different about transcending the limits of where you come from and taking up space uh, and 
basically from that essay on, each essay was going to kind of explode your brain in some way like that. Totally. Um, Yes. And then the last one, Us Everlasting, um, had a really different format than the rest, where it actually, yeah, it wove together these like little glimpses into the lives of other queer and part Asian and Asian people uh, in a way that felt, it just felt like it was capturing a becoming. And they really did this uh, collaging of other people's voices in a way that felt so expansive. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, this is a book that is going to linger um, in my brain for a very long time. And I'm so glad that it's just given me another way to look at the world and look at myself. Um, and I think that it's the type of book too, where you can read it and reread it or listen to the audiobook so many times and still get something different just based on where you're at in life or, um, how you're feeling. And I don't know, I would, I would read Sabrina on anything now. Okay, so before we let you go, I have two more questions for you. One is a completely arbitrary rating system, which I think this time around we're going to do tentacles because it just felt right. Um, I don't know if that means it's between one and eight because of octopus or if we could even, I mean, there are plenty of creatures with plenty more tentacles than that. So I don't know. It's an unlimited number. It's also not a real number. But if you were forced to submit a completely subjective rating system on this book, uh, Kat, what would you rate it? How many tentacles would you give it? I wish I knew more animals that had tentacles because I'm sure there's this type of animal or, I mean, yeah, that could keep growing tentacles. Like Ooh, all the tentacles, but like a infinite. regenerative tentacle. Yeah, exactly. A regenerative that's tentacle. Beautiful. That's lovely. Infinite I tentacles. Love that. You know? Just it's based on vibes. <laughs> oh, so true to the spirit of this book. Who yeah. knows how many tentacles you could grow if you were in an endless environment given the nourishment yeah. you yourself have chosen. Exactly. Oh. Thank you, Rachel. Wow. Wow. This is so beautiful. My I love pleasure. it so much. <laughs> See, I mean, this book has changed the chemistry of my brain. This is how I think now. Yep. Oh, it's so yes. good. Yes. Yes. It's rewired my brain in the best way. Um, well, Kat's answer was perfect. I was going to be like 28 tentacles for how old Sabrina probably Ooh. is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So this is such a unique book in so many different ways, but of course it doesn't exist in a vacuum. And I would love the opportunity for each of you to shout out some other titles that you think people would like if this one really resonated with them. I think the first one that came to mind for me was uh, Why Fish Don't Exist by Lulu Miller, which feels like a very similar celebration of curiosity and queerness and... Yeah, also doesn't shy away from darkness, but is so much about kind of basking in the light, too. Um, but I would love to hear if y'all have any ideas. Yes. One book that came to mind that I read recently was Strangers to Ourselves by Rachel Aviv, um, mm. which is so lovely. It's such a compact book, and it is a lot about um, our idea of what it means to inhabit our own bodies and what it means to inhabit um our own lizard brains too. And it begins with an incredibly personal essay um, that the writer Rachel, um, who's also a reporter journalist at The New Yorker, um, you know, opens with about her own struggle um, when she was a child with um, an eating disorder. And 
so much of this book is well-reported and so researched in a similar way to Sabrina's. And just the seamless weaving of essays and then the the broader arc that swings back to Rachel's own story was gorgeous. So Strangers to Ourselves, I highly recommend. That's a great recommendation. Thanks, Kat. That is actually next on my list, and I'm now super excited. Cool. So I was thinking of two books. Um, One, because the Sandstriker essay stuck with me so much because it made me think about Uh, why we don't have the language to talk about these liminal borderline experiences and what it would mean if we did and thought of them differently. Um, It made me think of Girlhood, the essay collection by Melissa Mm -hmm. Fabos. Mm -hmm. Um, And similarly, I think that book is so much about the forces of kind of compulsory femininity that are relevant to that particular essay in Sabrina's book. It again explored these borderline consensual experiences and the stories we tell ourselves about them to survive and how we can move from survival to thrival, a word I just made up. I um, love it. Thrival. It's yeah. a good word. Yeah. We're just going with it. That's one. Um, and one that's not a new book um, is The Cancer Journals by Audre Lorde. Um, I, I reread it recently um, and it's very much about the body and it, it deals with these liminal experiences. Um, this is Audre Lorde's um, memoir of having breast cancer, but also of being a radical black lesbian feminist during that. Um, so it really meditates like on being everything at once, on being the both and, on being lesbian, black, having a different relationship with femininity, going through breast cancer, a very like white feminized disease in many ways. Um, and it was also beautiful. I can't wait to read that. I love that. Well, Kat, Rachel, thank you both so much for coming on. This was really lovely discussion. I just love a gush party. Let's do it again. <laughs> love it. Yay. All right, that's it for book club this month. Thank you for reading and listening along. And of course, extra special bonus thanks to Liz in Minnesota and Asako in Sydney for sending in your thoughts as well. I cannot believe March is tomorrow, but it's real. I double checked on the calendar. And speaking of March, we have a whole new book club that we are going to discuss. Next month, our selection is Rebecca Mackay's new novel, I Have Some Questions for You. It's about boarding school and murder and podcasts, and it's great. I can't wait for you to read it along with us. Also, you heard it here first. We have chosen our April and May books, and I'm going to tell you what they are right now. For April, we are reading Michael Bennett's detective novel, Better the Blood, which takes place in New Zealand and is a really interesting conversation around colonialism and indigenous rights, among many other things. We also have in May, Idra Novi's book, Take What You Need, which is a meditation on art and grief and our divided America. It's great. I can't wait for you to read both of those along with us, too. And don't worry, if you didn't get to write down the titles, we're going to post those on Instagram, too. You can find us at Nerdat Podcast. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. J.P. Swenson builds our newsletter every week. And our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.